Well, have you ever felt like the Christian life is hard? I know I have. We hear that the Christian life is supposed to be full of peace. We're supposed to be in harmony with God. It's supposed to be this easy walk with God. And it sounds good. It really does. It's what we want. But we don't always experience it, do we? Instead, we can feel like we're working really hard. We can feel like we're doing everything we can just not to disappoint a demanding God. And Dave talked last week. By the way, thanks Dave for filling in and and teaching a week there. It was a blessing for Greg and I had a week off after faith camp and really spoke to my heart as you were teaching there. So we appreciate that. But part of what Dave talked about as he went through Romans 7 was this struggle that's going on within us. A struggle that we see what the Christian life should look like. We see the scriptures. We see what we should walk into. But we have a struggle that we still have our flesh. And we still have two natures within us that we have what our flesh wants to do and continuing to live in our old life. And we have the life that God wants to call us into. The life we're talking about today, that spirit life. And we have a choice. Am I going to continue to walk in my flesh and that old life? In my flesh, my old patterns, what I knew before Christ, what's familiar? Well, I do my own thing. And after a whole section about that struggle that goes on, about trying to do what's right. In my human thinking, if I was reading this for the first time and we went through that whole chapter, what I would think would come next would be a rundown of what's really important to keep in focus, a review of commands to be sharp on, to be things to be careful with, things we need to do to try our hardest not to disappoint God. I would think of a coach working with his team all week and going through drills, going through practices, going through things to help make them better and get to where they want to go. And I think of him being in the locker room before they're running out of the tunnel, talking about, remember the things we went through. Remember to block. Remember to do the little things. Remember all those drills. I would think of him running through that. Or I think of a parent, before they go into a store with their children, you kind of need a pep talk, don't you? To remind them, let's not grab things off the shelf, let's not yell, let's not do this and that. It's kind of what I would expect here. But it's not what we see. And when I think about Romans 7, it's a great reminder to me that when we try to live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit, the Christian life is weary and it's burdensome, even impossible. You think about Jesus talking to the rich young ruler. He told him to go sell his things and come follow Jesus. It was certainly impossible. And he walked away sad. I think about Jesus taking the standards of lust and saying it's no longer just adultery that's a sin. Try not to do adultery like in the Ten Commandments, but if you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And it's not just murder like in the Ten Commandments. If you have anger in your heart, it's the same as murder. That's going on. That's impossible. And I even think of the mission Jesus gave us to go reach the world with the gospel. He didn't say to go reach as many people as you can with your life or as many as is humanly possible. That's at least within reason. He said go and make disciples of all the nations, which goes into impossible, doesn't it? And if we take on all those new standards that Jesus gave us, 
everything we could line up as a command in the New Testament and we wrote them all out, it would be an impossible standard to live up to. It could be something we put in front of us as something to work really hard to aspire towards, but we'd be crushed by the burden of it. We'd only be putting ourselves under a harsher law than the one Jesus saved us from. And I believe we've all mistakenly reduced the Christian life down to trying to obey a harsher standard and trying to live up to what God requires of us. And so as we start looking in Romans 8 here, again, Paul doesn't list through a whole bunch of commands. I think there's only two commands or one command in the whole section we're going to look through today. But what he's driving home is a new identity and a new relationship with God. So we'll read the first two verses here, Romans 8, 1 and 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And so right at the end of Romans 7, Dave talked about it last week and hit on it. It talks about we've been freed from that struggle. And the Holy Spirit has freed us from it, from living up to that impossible standard. And this, I think Romans 8.1 is one of those pivotal verses in Romans as we look through the text. Because when we've been saved by Jesus Christ and marked by the Holy Spirit, there is no longer any condemnation that faces us. There is no impending doom awaiting us at the end of the tunnel. And it's because Jesus took our condemnation upon himself, didn't he? So a few things to unpack with that. One is that we were each condemned. And it's important just to remember that as we look at how we can face a life with no condemnation. It's important to understand we were condemned. Psalm 1.5 says, they will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. And in Mark 16, 16, it says, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be what? Condemned. And to put proper significance on this verse in Romans 8, we need to first understand that we were each condemned. And Mark 16 hits on the heart of it. Belief in Jesus Christ brings salvation. And there was a time when each of us refused to believe the gospel. Whether we got saved at age 4, age 14, age 40, or we're still working it out, there's a time when each one of us refused to believe the gospel. We refused to believe in Jesus Christ and we were condemned. Our sins demanded a price. And we know from the scriptures God won't let any sin go unpunished. So we were each condemned before a holy God, each deserving a death sentence, each guilty of our sins, marked by them, each a dead man walking. And what happened to fix that? Jesus was condemned for our sins. Matthew 27, verse 3, says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silvers back to the leading priests and the elders. What are we highlighting here is that Jesus became condemned. He who knew no sin took on our sin. He was completely innocent, and he took on the guilt of our sin. He placed the chains of our condemnation around his wrists, 
He was pierced through for our transgressions. So what does that word condemnation mean? I think we probably know. It's in our head. But really it just means we're sentenced to a judgment. We're found guilty. We've gone past that stage and now we're sentenced to a particular judgment for our guilt. And usually that sentence, as we talk about condemned, is death. It's a death sentence. So we were each found guilty, and we were sentenced to death. We were each condemned to die. That Jesus took that punishment on the cross to pay for us. And that's important. So as we look at Romans 8 here, it says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So we don't need to fill our mind worrying about the consequence of our sins, about what's coming next, about the condemnation awaiting us, because it's gone. There is no condemnation if we put our belief in Jesus Christ. There is no other shoe to drop. There is nothing to wait for. There is no separate standard that we haven't been told about that we're going to find out about and be condemned at some point. We sang this morning... That even though we were once condemned, we no longer feel any shame. I thought that fit right in. We can each praise God. Why? Because Jesus took that condemnation and we're not facing it before God. And we can come before his presence uncondemned and praise him like we did this morning. So we look at how can that be. What this hints at is that the requirement of law has been fully accomplished by Jesus Christ, hasn't it? Romans 8, verse 4, a little bit later in there, he says, He did this so that the requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. It's been a few weeks since we went through the start of Romans 7. We had some breaks in our schedule there. But the first half of the chapter talks about the fact that we're no longer under the law if we have belief in Jesus Christ. It is no longer at work within us. We're no longer controlled by it. And why is that? Romans 7, 7 said that the law did something. It showed me my sin. It showed me how I'd fallen short of God's standards so that I might have belief in Jesus Christ. And we can come to faith in Him. And we're told in Romans 7 that that's the purpose of the law, is to bring us to faith in Christ. So the work of the law is to stop us from thinking we can be righteous on our own, we can get to God, we can do enough to work there, but that we need to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the work of the law is done in our lives. It's fully accomplished. And two things have happened. Jesus has paid the price for our sins on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins. The fine is completely paid off, and our belief has been placed in Jesus Christ. That's the second thing, so we've put our faith in Him. It has produced a result. And so what does Romans 8.1 say again? There is no condemnation. Our debt is gone. You know, I've had my fair share of hospital bills before and know a thing or two about debt from medical bills, um, being as how we've gone through it with four kids. So depending on your insurance, when you go to the hospital, I don't know what you're thinking about, but sometimes we can be thinking about, I'm running up a tab here. I don't know what's going to hit me when I get home, but it's not going to be good. 
All of my children after they were born have gone through the NICU and had extended stays in the hospital. And when you finally get back home, you're relieved to get out, but you kind of know that bill's coming one day. I remember one of those times I started to get statements from the insurance companies about all the bills they were going to cover, about the ones that they weren't, about what percentage they were going to cover. And it was kind of this mess of legalese and numbers. But at the end they show, after everything's said and done, you're going to owe this much to the hospital. And so normally after a week or two you get a separate bill and the hospital says, here's what you owe after everything, and you have this debt. Well, in this one particular instance, it was a pretty big number. My daughter was in the hospital for quite a while and had a lot going on. And so, one, I was just kind of eye-popping at the original number. I don't know if you've ever done that looking at a hospital bill. But then even the number at the end after everything was fairly large. It was the biggest hospital bill we had come home. And so we were looking forward to that coming in the mail. You know what I mean? And so a few weeks passed... And it didn't come in the mail. And I was like, okay, well, they're taking their time, but that's fine. And a few more weeks passed, and it started to get into months, and I started calling the insurance company and asking what was going on. And, and they assured me the hospital's going to send that bill someday. Well, after a few months, I figured, like, something's got to be wrong here. I know I owe this money. I got this statement saying I was going to, but I haven't gotten a bill. And so finally I called the hospital, and I was giving them my wife's name and my daughter's name and my name, and they're looking through all their records, and they just couldn't find a bill. And so I was in some weird alternative universe where I was calling the hospital and arguing that I owed the money and I needed to pay. <laughs> but I was worried I'm just, they're going to not, like it got lost in the mail, and I'm just going to get some notice and having a collections agent at my door. And so I'm arguing, I owe you money. Where do I pay? And they said, well, sir, I'm very happy you're calling and we're trying to work through it, but you really just don't owe anything. We've looked up all your names. There's no bill. There's nothing you're going to get in the mail. You just don't owe anything. And so I, we went on and on and circled around, and finally I hung up. And now it's been a few years later, and no bill ever came in the mail. She was right. I, we don't really know what happened or where it went or where they routed that, but we never got a bill. And I think it can be the same with our sin. We look back and we said, did I commit those sins? Yeah. And do those sins ultimately deserve that judgment? And they did. But as we, if we go to settle our sins with Jesus Christ, there's not going to be anything more to settle. There's not going to be anything we owe. There's not going to be a tab. There's not going to be condemnation awaiting us. And if we continue to try to do good deeds to pay off a debt that isn't there anymore, it would be foolish. It'd be like me opening up the checkbook and sending in checks every week to try to pay off a bill the hospital doesn't have. They'd probably start ripping them up or calling me real confused because there's just no debt there anymore. We've been freed from that old way of life. We've been freed from that old system of the law. And this verse is a transition between that struggle we talked about last week. That struggle of trying to live up to God's standard and feeling that struggle of our flesh versus that new standard of walking into a truth that we now relate to God through the Holy Spirit. That we start walking in that new life through a relationship with God. And we can walk in that reality that there's no condemnation awaiting us. And so we're not condemned. The cool thing about this chapter is we're one verse in, and it's really encouraging, but Paul doesn't stop the good news. That we're not just no longer condemned, that there's nothing bad awaiting us. 
But there's a lot of blessing that's coming into our life on top of no condemnation through the Holy Spirit. So let's read on a little bit. We're back in Romans 8.2. It says, And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are condemned by sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your minds leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you so that even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And so we have the Holy Spirit within us. In verse 1 we see that the work of Jesus Christ has been done, that there's no condemnation awaiting us. And verse 2 starts to explain that the Holy Spirit's within us, producing a work and producing fruit and power within us. And if we take last week's message, Romans 7, without Romans 8, frankly, it's a bit discouraging to me. We see that tension of living the old life and the new life. If we just saw that long list of standards, we'd be crushed. But what we see is this proclamation that we've been given the Holy Spirit. And that Spirit is at work within us doing something. And so it's the Holy Spirit that allows us to live a new life. It's the Holy Spirit that allows us to live that life that Dave was talking about last week. That he was talking about struggling to live in versus our flesh. And much of this chapter talks about the Spirit producing a work within us. A work that allows us to walk into that life that God calls us into. And so what specifically does the Holy Spirit do? I'm just going to run through some things that it says the Spirit accomplishes in our life. One in verse two, it says the Spirit frees us from the power of sin. It says, and because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. 
If you look through Romans, as we've been going through, chapter 3 talks about us all having sin in our life. By Romans 6, we've each been condemned to die because of that sin. And that sin draws us into faith in Romans 7. And in chapter 8, we've been freed from the power of sin altogether because of the work of Jesus Christ. And it's not just a feeling, it's not just an emotional high, it's not just we feel a certain way when we're singing, it's a belief in something true, that we've been freed from that power when the Holy Spirit is in us. So the Holy Spirit allows us to live that new life. And the work that the Spirit produces is riddled through this. Another one it talks about is that the Spirit leads us. Romans 8.4, He did this so that the requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. So we can follow the Holy Spirit instead of just our sinful nature. We're under new management. The Spirit leads us into a new life, a new direction than we were going before. Another thing it says it causes us to do in verse 5 is causes us to think about the things that please God. And verse 5 says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about only sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So this verse says we were dominated by the sinful nature and only allowed to think on those things. Our minds were filled with those things. We were saturated with them. It's important to remember that our flesh will only think on evil things. When we're in our flesh, what are we concerned about? Pleasing ourselves, pleasing our flesh. Where's the party Friday night? What new movie can entertain me? How can I be fulfilled through dating? How can I make a little bit more money to have more of my life? What celebrity should we idolize? What new car do we need? There's all these things we go after, but our flesh is never fixed. It's always going to be there and full of bad stuff oozing out of it and wanting to go after sin. But what does the Spirit do in us? It causes us to think about the things that please the Spirit and not just those things that please ourselves or on our own flesh. And we see right there, it's a supernatural work just to be focused on what pleases God. What can I do to live righteously? What can I do to live holy? We need God's help in that. Another thing it says is that it brings us life and peace. Verse 6, So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So this verse speaks about what's going on in our head, our minds. What's going on in our thought life? What are we believing? How are we processing life and how we're thinking? And if we let ourselves dwell in our own thoughts, our own flesh, our own patterns, we only get the fruits of our flesh. Galatians 5 talks about the things that just ooze out of our flesh, the fruits of it. And we think about the things from our thought life, like this verse. It talks about anxiety and jealousy and strife, selfish ambitions. This month, I've had a lot going on in life. I don't know if you've ever had months like this, but I just feel like I can't quite get caught up between work and church stuff and family responsibilities. I'm a little behind on everything. 
And when I allow myself to just dwell on it and dwell on what I haven't finished on my to-do list or what I could have done differently or what I should be doing, I get anxious. I'm up at night. I'm nervous about it. I can be jealous of people that are just out doing something nice on a, a sunny day because all this ooze of the flesh starts coming out in me. But there's a different fruit that we can have in our life when we let the Holy Spirit control our minds. When we let the Spirit control and fill our hearts and when we process life through the lens of the Holy Spirit. We experience the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. In Romans 8, 6 there it says we have life and peace. In Galatians it talks about other things that spill out of our lives when we're filled with the Spirit. It talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things just start oozing out of us. I can tell you I want that second list a lot more in my life than that first one. Another thing it says the Spirit does is allows us to please God. Romans 8.8, 8, those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Well, it's kind of open and shut. So we can walk into being pleasing before God in the Spirit. We just talked about our minds get polluted on their own and just oozes in there. And as we do our own actions, as we do our own things that we think are good or the right things, the Scripture is clear that our own thinking, our own actions, our own initiative cannot please God. It's not that we're just 50% pleasing or 75% pleasing or we've only gotten so many things done. It's that we cannot please God. It's 0% pleasing before God. Our flesh produces only bad fruit. Like I mentioned at the start of the time, I like to garden. And so I have that going on. One thing, I didn't plant them this year, but in the past I've planted cucumbers. And it's... I don't really like to grow them, and I'll tell you why. They always start out okay, and their vines grow up, and you put these trellises in, and they're growing high, and they start to bear fruit. And for a little bit, they grow fruit, and it's sweet, and it's good, and you bring them in, and you start eating them. And then one day, something goes wrong with cucumber every year. You bring them in one day, and you taste the fruits, and they're all bitter and disgusting, and you want to spit them out. And I always try to, like, tend the thing and make it go better, but it never turns back to sweet fruit anymore. It's just disgusting. I think there's something with like not getting enough sun or enough water or enough nutrients. The thing just turns. There's some plants that just die and you can see or they turn yellow. But cucumber, it's bitter fruit. I don't know what it is. Needless to say, I'm not planting them this year. I've gone on to other things. I'm over it. But I think we can be that same way. We can look okay on the outside. We can look like there's fruit on the vine. Our deeds might look okay. But God wants to spit us out like that. It will never please God to bring the works of our flesh. Only by walking in the Spirit can we please God. In Revelation, Jesus says when we're lukewarm, when we're kind of in the middle, when we're kind of trying to do it on our own and maybe trying to seek God a little bit, He wants to spit us out. Just like that cucumber. Only by walking in the Spirit can we please God. Another thing it says is that the Spirit will bring us eternal life. It says, just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. 
And this goes for the first point today about not being condemned. But God brings eternal life to us just as Jesus rose from the dead. So no longer are we condemned to die as we talked about, but we also have a positive thing. We have eternal life to look forward to. Ephesians 1.14 says, The Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised and that He purchased us to be His own people. The Holy Spirit in us guarantees eternal life. When you have a ticket to go to a football game or a rock concert, it's exciting, you look forward to it. You buy that ticket ahead of time. You've got to get on the website like three months ahead and make sure you get it before it sells out. And when you're standing in line to go in the door, you have a ticket in your hand or you have a barcode on your phone. I've gone to a number of different events over the year where I had to buy one of those tickets. But I've never been standing in line thinking, I hope this ticket works when I get up to the front. I hope Ticketmaster didn't bamboozle me and this one's a lemon and they say, get lost. I hope they accept it. I hope this piece of paper is good enough to get in to see the Broncos. I've never worried about it because that ticket is a guarantee to get me in the door, which has already been paid for. And the Holy Spirit acts as a deposit in us that guarantees us eternal life. We don't have to worry that it's not good enough or that we need money or we need more works or we need to overcome something in our life. We have the Holy Spirit, which works as a guarantee in our life. And there's no condemnation or death that awaits us any longer, as that first verse talked about. But there's also eternal life awaiting us, based on the Holy Spirit being within us, being a guarantee for us to have life for eternity with God. Another thing it talks about the Spirit doing is bringing power into our lives. Verse 11, it says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And then verse 13 says, If through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the sinful nature, you will live. And in Romans here, it's being highlighted that the Spirit of God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And when we think about that event, Jesus Christ was condemned. Like we talked about, he was killed on the cross as a criminal. He was pierced through, condemned to go to hell for our sins. They took him off the cross. They placed him in a tomb. They rolled a giant rock in front of it that wouldn't be easy for men to move. And they put Roman guards at the entrance so no one could get inside of it. And the Spirit of God raised him from the dead, overcoming the work of hell, overcoming the power of hell that he raised. And it says that same Spirit of God is at work somehow within each of us if we put our faith in Jesus Christ and have the Spirit. And when I look at this verse, it seems the intent of mentioning that is to grow our confidence that the Spirit of God can be at work within us powerfully. And when we draw on that confidence from what the Spirit did for Jesus Christ, We grow in confidence to ask for things. We grow in courage. And I think we do this all the time of going on past experience or other experiences to draw in confidence of the tasks ahead of us, don't we? If we hit a point in a run or a bike ride or something where it starts to burn and we don't think we can go on, we think, I've run this distance before. I know I can finish it. I know I can keep going. There's something to keep going for. Or if we watch a commercial with a truck off-roading, we think, if I buy that same truck, it can do it because I see it doing it there and I know it can produce that same thing for me. 
We've grown confidence. If a team has won 10 games in a row, they're a lot more confident going into that 11th game than they were the first game because they're drawing on the results that have been produced. And we have the Spirit of God within us that produced the ultimate victory already. The victory over death. The victory to raise Jesus Christ, it says. And that same power is accessible to us and at work within us. So if we add up all the work of the Spirit that it produces within us, God's doing a lot in our lives when we have the Spirit. And the Spirit's producing a ton. When we look at that list... We think life should be pretty easy with all that going on in our life, shouldn't it? Christian life should be a walk through the park. we got the power. We don't have to try to work so hard to please God. We have life and peace. He's leading us. He's freed us from the power. But I bet if we went around the room and just pulled, there'd be some of us that are experiencing that and like, that's the Christian life this week. That's what I experienced. But other of us might feel burdened might feel overwhelmed. We might feel like we're lacking that power in our lives. We might feel guilty about things going on. Why is that? When I think about our relationship with the Holy Spirit, it has different facets. In some ways, I think it's not different from a marriage relationship. On our wedding day, we put on a ring that shows we're married for the rest of our lives, and that's like a guarantee. I'm going to be married. I'm going to wear this ring to show that I'm married. And with the Spirit, it's given to us as a guarantee that we have eternal life. Now there's parts of our marriage that are a blessing, but we have to walk into a little more regularly than just our wedding day to walk into it. Marriage can bring a lot of good things in our life, can bring fulfillment and companionship. But we don't get it for free just by one day in our lives, do we? We have to have conversation. We have to be in agreement. We have to be together. We have to be in unity, and certain fruit comes from that. But if I say, I bought you flowers a year ago, I don't know what the problem is, you're discouraged today, I don't think that's going to go very far. Or if I say, we went on a date our last anniversary and our next one is only 10 months away, let's just look forward to that. We'd save a lot of time and money, but I don't think it would produce a good marriage, would it? And while it's not 100% parallel to the Holy Spirit, I do think there's some things with a relationship with the Holy Spirit that are a one-time thing and a guarantee placed on us, and there's other things that are walking in relationship that brings fruit in our life. There are pieces we affect, though, in what we're doing before God. So it's not a list, a to-do list. It's not things we have to do to not be condemned before God. But there's things we can do that help us experience a different relationship with the Holy Spirit, a different power in our lives this week. And so there's a question I want to look at. What can we do to have that spirit power or that spirit experience in our life? There's just a few things I want to run through just to think about for the week. One is just to yield control daily. Verse 6 there says, But letting the Spirit control your minds leads to life and peace. And so how do we do that specifically? Really, it's just a daily choice before God to say, I know I have a will, I know I have a to-do list, I know I have things I need to get done, but I would rather have your will carried out. I want to lay it before you. My wife Sarah often writes a to-do list the night before or early in the morning of all the things she wants to get done in the day. I'm not as good at that. But she'll take that to-do list into prayer and just say, Lord, do you want me to get this whole list done? Is this what you'd have for me today? Are there things you want to alter it? 
she yields it before God and says, will you alter this? What do you want me to do today? Is there anything you'd want me to cross off? If there's anything you want me to add? Or is there anyone I should be impacting for the gospel? And that's not a one-time thing, is it? That's a daily thing that we're waking up with an agenda we have to put before God. And so we can orient ourselves today. It's good to sing to God. We orient our hearts and we worship God. We hear the word. But the reality is, if this is all our connection with God and we're hoping that next week we come back Sunday and we're walking in the Spirit, I don't think we're going to live that. I don't think we're going to live in the power of the Spirit this week. Just, just like talking to our spouse every night at dinner might be a good idea, somehow talking to the Holy Spirit every, day, every morning might be a good idea as well. Dave was talking about this morning of that song said, Tune my heart to sing thy praise, about orienting our heart towards God. I think that's really good. It fits right in with this. Are we orienting our heart to be under control of the Holy Spirit and orienting our heart to give Him control of us? Another thing I think we can do is follow the Spirit. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. We need to allow ourselves to be led. Again, if you've ever played a sport, we can get lots of good input. We know drills that will make us better. We kind of know going into the weight room will help us. But there's a reality that each person on the team needs to yield control to that coach, yield some vision to that coach, and follow their leadership. They need to submit their own will that they're not going a whole bunch of different ways and trying to do something, but they're going under his or her vision for that team. And if I carried out my own will for my life every day, it would look very different than God's will and what he has for me. And even Christians, we can think there's a certain way my life should go. I kind of know the scriptures. I know what they say. I know where I should go with my life. But we're told to follow where the Spirit leads us, aren't we? Following his leading in our life. From little things, like what should I do today? What should be on my to-do list? Who should I meet with? Is there anything else I should be doing? Or should I text a verse to someone? To big things, like where should I work? Or who should I marry? Or should I buy a house? Or what church do I commit to? The Spirit wants to lead us into those things, but we have to yield control and follow where He's taking us. The next thing I think is just asking for God's power, for the Spirit's power to be at work. It says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Like we talked about. If through the Spirit, or through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. And we address that in chapter 7, that Christian life, that standard is impossible to walk into on our own strength. But when we're doing those first two things and we're yielding control, to the Spirit and following the leading, He gives us the power to complete what He leads us into. He gives us all the tools we need to walk into what He has for us. We asked one of our daughters last week to pull weeds for us out in the yard. As parents, we wanted to give her all the tools she needed to be successful. So we gave her little gloves so they wouldn't hurt her hands. And we gave her a bag so she could throw the weeds away. We gave her a little water bottle so she wouldn't get dehydrated. And if she asked for help on a really tough one, we'd go help her get the weed out. And God's going to put tasks in front of us that may sound impossible, 
But just like I'm not going to send my daughter out to do a task I know is completely impossible for her without helping her, God wants to give us everything we need to complete what he puts in front of us. I think I mentioned at the start um, a few of those things that Jesus talked about as being impossible. In Matthew 19, he talked to the rich man. And he said, go sell all of your possessions and come follow me. And it says the man went away sad. We've all been there. There's a standard and we're just sad and think that's not possible. It says, And Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astounded, and they said, Then who in the world can be saved? And I catch their heart there. How can we do this? This impossible standards. Who could be saved? And what does Jesus say to them? He says, he looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. And that's what Romans 7 and 8 are all about. It is not possible on our own, just like Jesus said. But with the Spirit of God at work within us, all things are possible. And when I imagine that interaction before Jesus, I think he's a little pleased that the disciples are processing this and figuring it out. I think he's pleased that they're saying, this isn't possible, the Christian life isn't possible. And he's saying, "Ah, you got it, it's not. You can't do it. But I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. And it will be possible with my spirit at work within you. And when we've heard God's calling on us for impossible tasks in the Christian life, I think he's pleased when we realize we need his power to walk into it and we ask him for it. To complete the task at hand. I think of Acts 1, when Jesus gave the Great Commission. It says, and Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. So he says you're going to get the Spirit and you will receive power in your lives. Well, the power to do what? Well, he gives them the mission of the Great Commission after them. He says, To tell people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he says the Holy Spirit will give you power right before he gives one of those impossible tasks. A co-worker of mine told me about something I'd never heard of this week. There's a biker here. I'd try to pronounce her name there, but... Those European names I'm not very good at. But a new thing is happening in major bike races and professional racing is that they found a way to hide motors within a bike. So they take the seat off and they put little motors in the hollow part. I think that's called the stem under it. And then they run it down to help the pedals assist to move. And so some of them have a heart rate monitor on the bike, and if someone's heart rate is going too high, it just kicks in and it assists them up the hill. Other ones just have a little button where they can hit, and it starts to assist. And they've made those motors quiet enough that they can't hear it if you're out on the road, or other bikers can't hear it, or other people. This lady here, somehow her bike had gotten in a crash, and they were pulling it apart, and they found one of these motors inside of her bike. And so in the end, she was disqualified, I think, five or six years from professional cycling um, because they concluded that she had used that and cheated. 
But when I think of the length of the hills in a professional bike race, to me it sounds completely impossible. And I, I fancy myself an amateur cyclist, and I like to go out on a Saturday and, and go hit the, the trails around Denver here. But that sounds impossible. The Tour de France is 2,000 miles. That's not something I could do. But if I was told I could have one of those little motors in the bike, I might agree to it. And better yet, if I was told... I could ride this thing around and follow them around. I would sign up for that, going around France on that thing, watching the cyclists. I think I could do that with a motor on it. It changes the game, having that power of the motorized bike, doesn't it? We were just up at faith camp, and John Larson is a pastor in Fort Collins. He was giving a talk on the Holy Spirit, and he said, it's kind of like having a V10 Lamborghini and trying to go up the mountains. You'd feel a lot of confidence to try anything in that car, wouldn't you, that it could get you where you wanted to go. But our tendency is that we try really hard, we think we can get there, we try to do it on our own, or we just give up. So if we're trying hard, we put lots of work in, we put in the overtime, we put in the extra effort, we focus and try to put all our energy into it. But the scripture is clear, our flesh cannot please God, our flesh cannot complete the task at hand. The task that Jesus had put in front of us to walk into. In Isaiah 40, verse 31, it says, But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings. Like eagles, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And if we find ourselves becoming weary in the Christian life, becoming burdened, looking at the tasks that just sound impossible and wanting to give up, we're missing what God wants to walk us into of walking in the Spirit power. And we're told to trust in the Lord and walk in that strength of the Spirit. And when we do that, it's like soaring. It's not like working hard. It's just like letting God work. So no matter what we see in front of us that we're facing, whether it's overcoming sins in our life, I just talked about last time I talked about faith camp, like alcohol in my life and overcoming that sin. Or it's trying to bear fruit for the gospel and reach this neighborhood and reach this world. Or it's just trying to love people that really grind us the wrong way. Or if it's serving like we ought to and helping other people or serving God and serving people, all those things are impossible in our own strength. But the Holy Spirit will give us power to walk into that and walk into what God has for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We just thank you for this scripture. We thank you for this passage here. God, we thank you that you don't just keep piling on more commands, more to-dos, a harsher standard to walk into. God, you said if we have your spirit within us, we are not looking forward to a condemnation. No condemnation awaits us. And God, you say when we have your spirit, we walk in power. We walk in your leadership. I pray you'd help us walk in that this week, God. Help us. I know I could use just yielding to you more each day to walk into the impossible things you have for me, Lord. We all could. I pray you'd help us walk in that this week and learn to walk with your spirit inside of us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.